Hi, I'm Sue. And I'm Rach. And this is the Georgette Heyer podcast. And in this episode, we're talking about Venetia. So, hey, Rach, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Mm, yeah, good. I've, I've been weirdly stressed today for no good reason. Just, well, my reason is pathetic. It's that my laptop battery and my <coughs> phone battery have just been on the edge of dying all day. And I've really been feeling like I've I felt like I've been running against the clock, you know, am I going to make it through the day with this battery? Um, Why were you not near a power source? Reasons, really good reasons. Um, okay. It was just difficult and it's just added like this weird layer of stress, like a countdown on the back of my head all day. It is very stressful, the idea of running out of power on devices and yeah. then like what what happened? What happens if you run out of, you don't have contact with anybody? How will you, how, how will you get home? How will you... <laughs> Well, exactly. You know how easily I get lost. If I don't have maps to rely on, I am in trouble. Um, but my laptop died 10 minutes before the end of my working day, which just meant I went home 10 minutes early. Well, that works out well then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, turns out it was okay. Um, what have you been up to? Um, well, last week we had a little break, a little um, break. To, we went to Broadstairs in Ooh, Kent. Lovely. And I was trying to remember whether there was any anything set any george mm. any george higher book set there or near there i don't think there's anything i couldn't think of anything set in kent i'm sure there must be there must be some I, kent ones with some smuggling well you see i think it's i think the, the smuggling ones are sussex or, oh okay or would that not make sense geographically i'm very very bad at geography um <laughs> but i I'm, I'm not sure um and i think there's somerset ones but i i'm not sure that there are kent ones but um Okay, well, if anyone's listening, who can correct us on this? Answers on a postcard. But it's very nice. It's all, it's all, it's quite, it's like like old-fashioned little Victorian seaside resort. Oh. Um, everything's still quite old-fashioned, but very mm. pleasant, not, lovely beach. Oh, kids liked it. It was very nice little break. Um, okay, that's enough of our boring lives. Um, although we do get out a little bit more than Venetia does, I suppose. Shall we mm. kick off as tradition dictates with a little summary? Let's do it. So, due to her father's eccentricities and selfishness, the beautiful and charming Venetia has spent all of her 25 years buried in the Yorkshire countryside with her younger brother, Aubrey. When Aubrey injures himself in a horse riding incident, they're thrown together with Lord Damerel, the previously absent neighbour they've christened the Wicked Baron, due to local tales of his drunken orgies. However, Venetia and Damerel become fast friends, and would be more than that if only Damerel could be brought to see that Venetia isn't interested in finding a more respectable husband. Right, shall we begin by talking about Venetia and her interesting, or rather unusual life? She's a very likeable heroine, isn't she? Oh, yeah. A golden girl. Mm. and I think because of the life she's led and the position she's been put in by other people mm. you have instant uh empathy and sympathy with her mm. don't you so she's she's a likable character because she's been put in this situation she she doesn't really complain and she just gets on with it um yes and you can see it's unfair but it's and she's aware it's unfair but it um she just gets on with it. I th- I think she has this 
knack of adjusting her expectations of people which mm. is kind of quietly heartbreaking like even mm. with Aubrey who she's obviously the closest with she understands that you know his mind is yeah. elsewhere and she is going to be forgotten about rather regularly um yeah and yeah. and when she meets her aunt as well um she recognizes her as somebody that's essentially quite selfish and self-absorbed but doesn't like her any the less for it because yes. she's dealt with those kind of people all her life and it's just well that's what that's the expectation for now yeah you're right is she does um she yeah she, she she obviously goes through life just taking people as she finds them i mean it, i've never heard of anyone being surrounded by mm. by such a selfish bunch of people there's conway um, mm. who I kind of picture in my head as the um, cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> um, you know, then there's Aubrey and her father and her mother to an extent. I have some more compassion, I think, towards her mother because she does say, you know, she didn't want kids. But I think, like Venetia, she was sort of stuck with what was expected of women and she was expected mm. to provide children, so she had to do that. Um but yeah, all of these people, very selfish. And there's Venetia just kind of somehow managing to maintain her her zest for life. Yeah. And I do, I mean, that's the only thing about, so she's a, she's a wonderful heroine, but I do wonder how realistic it would be someone being that unaffected by mm. the very difficult, secluded life that she's had with very few contacts yes it's, she's like she's been in a permanent lockdown and we know what that's done to all of our <laughs> mental health <laughs> um that is true um so yeah yeah i i, I think she's also likable because she's intelligent and witty mm. and oh she's very well um, read yeah and funny um yeah, I, I I absolutely love the. It's, I think it's one of the best opening, uh, uh, best first scene between her and Aubrey mm. when they're um, when she's having a conversation with him, um, and and he's clearly not listening. Basically, she ends up having a conversation with herself. Yes, but we've you, all been there. You, you do feel like this is her, this is her life. She just sort of yeah, <laughs> get, yeah. get on with it and not really need <laughs> um, other people to um to yeah to respond as she does yeah I, I think she's also always referred to by people around her as lacking experience of the world and Damrell always referring to her as his green girl but she doesn't come across as naive as far as I'm concerned and I don't know whether that's because she's a, an avid reader perhaps I think probably a lot of people who are into Georgia Heyer you know have a very full sort of life in in fictional works um and have experienced a lot of the world through reading um but that yeah she never comes across as naive she seems to take to london life very well um so yeah she's a fully formed grown-up mm. despite not really being exposed yeah. to many people yeah and, and i think um so we'll we talk a bit later maybe about the, the undercurrents of of misogyny in a book in this book but mm. she, she's surrounded by people who so she's surrounded by selfish people, but also people that think they know better than oh, her. So yeah. they think, I mean, oh, we'll talk about Edward Yardley. But we'll get to Edward name. later. Oh, oh. Um, and But even Damrell, to an extent, and her yeah. uncle, who I, I really like the character of her mm. uncle, but it, it's 
her father didn't think she needed to know things mm. um about um about her past and about her mother and so, so she's she you know she's she's in this little uh, this bubble of protection but mm. it's it's just keeping her from things rather than actually protecting her. I mean, she doesn't need protecting. She's a perfectly capable young woman. It's just yes. it's quite a frustrating book in that way. Like, yeah. It's just yeah. why you know, she shouldn't be put in this position. It's just that people think that they know better than her just because she's a young woman. Yeah, she's, her needs are either entirely ignored or dictated to her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, I've got quite, it's quite an emotional book. This isn't oh, it? I've got quite. Yes, I mean, crying, laughter, mm-hmm. um, frustration, anger. It's a yeah, it's a great book. This. Yeah, I think um, you get obviously she has a lot of levity about her, but all of the situation she's in, she does acknowledge how difficult it is. There's a there's an interesting passage early on before Damrell enters the scene, where she's you know kind of weighing up the the possibility of of marrying edward yardley as just the best of a really limited set Mm. of options for a woman in her position and her her position isn't that bad you know she has a healthy independence financially but she's beautiful she's yeah she's charming but yet Mm. she's still yeah in this very limited position yeah yeah so actually she says Lady Denny would have been astonished had she been allowed to know with what misgiving Venetia regarded the future. For any female in her position, it was bleak indeed, and seemed to offer her no choice between marriage with Edward Yardley or the life of an ageing and probably unwanted spinster in her brother's household. Mistress of an easy competence, it was convention and not dependence that would force her to remain at Undershore. Single ladies did not live alone. Sisters past the marriageable age might do it. Years and years ago, the Lady Eleanor Butler and her dear friend Miss Sarah Ponsonby had done it, but in the teeth of parental opposition. They had fled to a cottage somewhere in Wales, renouncing the world just as if they had been nuns, and since they were still living there, and had never so far as anyone knew stirred from their retreat, it was to be inferred that they were content. But Venetia was no eccentric, and even had she possessed a bosom friend, she would not for an instant have entertained the thought of setting up house with her. Marriage to Edward would be preferable to such a menage and without indulging her fancy with girlish dreams of a noble and handsome suitor, Venetia felt that marriage with another than Edward would be the most agreeable solution to her difficulties. And I mean, Edward yeah. is appalling, so... Yeah. But but she, I mean, so we can see that, but mm. and, and, she, and she knows mm. that, you know, a lot of the time he's insupportable, but um, she hasn't met anybody else to compare yeah. him to at that point really she's yeah. met him and oswald bless him mm. <laughs> um and and then her brothers yeah. but 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 yeah there's, there's nothing to compare him to so it's not it's not really surprising she's considering it there's mentions that she's met people at like harrogate assemblies and things yeah. but that she's she's almost locked in this sort of while her father was alive at least this impenetrable citadel where you know because he wouldn't welcome anyone into his home no one had the chance to pursue any sort of friendship or relationship with her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can't really blame Academy for falling very quickly under the spell of, of Damrell. And, and wouldn't we all, hey? <sighs> yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I think with, with Damrell, Jasper Damrell, it's not, I, that name, that first name doesn't suit him, I don't think. No. Damrell, he did actually intend to seduce Venetia, didn't he? 
Yeah, it's definitely referred to. I, I don't so that I was thinking about that and I, it's a bit upsetting. So so I so the 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 first scene, mm. which is them um, basically a sexual assault yeah. um in in his on his estate because she's blackberry picking and she, oh he, he mistakes her for um a a country becoming and so it's okay to just kiss yeah. her um and so obviously that's um that's very bad she so that's the other thing about Venetia as well um and her expectation of people there's a really quite uh sad passage about um the um about her conversation she was having with Lady Denny about mm. men being different from women yeah, and she, oh, yeah. how even Lord, even Lord Denny um, had strayed mm. um, and had affairs. Um, it was implied. But that's just how we, that's just what's expected of men. And so she has this idea of men and probably right idea for the time <laughs> that that was okay that was acceptable behavior and yeah. so this was seen by her as acceptable behavior and it probably would have been at the time not acceptable because she yeah. does she does question it and she does say it, it, it's bad but it's it, it is uh it is made light of isn't it yes definitely it's almost like she's got a sort of overly pragmatic view of it yeah mm-hmm. I did. and then what struck me as strange about that, that kiss um was that there's a bit where it, it says that she was pushing him away while he was kissing her and he was laughing and like how do you laugh and kiss someone at the same time it reminded me then of the kiss that oswald forced on her yeah. where he's like kissing her eyebrow and her ear and just whatever bit of face he can get at yeah but yeah they and they actually have a conversation about that kiss afterwards as well uh, sorry Damrell and Venetia I'm referring to now they have a, a discussion about that kiss don't they and it very calmly kind of go over it a little bit yeah I, I mean yeah it's um you just want to think uh, those scenes isn't it there's a few of them in in here where where we look at it from uh I don't know from a modern um a modern, a modern viewpoint it seems awful but mm. it wouldn't have been seen as that awful yeah even when hay was writing yeah um and and actually so with Damrell, mm. um you do quite quickly uh, uh warm to him because oh, yeah. you realize his good qualities and his kindness to aubrey mm. and um yeah and his his all it, it so i think what what um what changes it is when you realise how much he almost despises himself. Yes, that is key to it, isn't it? His tragic background. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it, it seems like that sadness that he he has is related to him running away with the married woman, Sophia. Um, that breaking his father's heart to the point that his father had a stroke and then a second stroke a few years later and died. So he blamed himself for his father's death, which Venetia pointed out a bit over the top. Um, and then also the sort of shame and embarrassment and heartbreak that came with his first love leaving him for another man when he was young enough to really take that to heart and, f- and feel awful about it. Um, I do think a little bit that he held on to those feelings for a very long time. But I, I guess what he did was try and um, live up to the bad reputation that he'd, yeah. that he'd got 
and just kind of got swept up in horse racing, women and booze. I, I think that's so. So I think, yeah, I think that's right. That so that that all happened to him. And, and I don't I don't know with it. He doesn't seem to feel a lot of bitterness about the about her running off necessarily still. Obviously, it was bitter at the time, but no. still, I, I think it's more that, yeah, you're right, that he his family disowned him. Mm. He was he was he was made he was almost forced to play the part that he um that he had been given by yeah. his family disowning him all of this happening the disgrace that he was under mm. and then yeah he just played that part because that's the only thing you can do at that point it's very difficult to re-establish yourself at that point and so yeah. he might as well go along with it and that's jaded him further he doesn't really care anymore yeah where you mentioned though that um yeah, he's he's not particularly heartbroken over, or he doesn't blame Sophia for for leaving him. Mm. There's a nice bit where he um he says to Venetia, "Imagine Aubrey, but in love." Like like he yeah. said, he, he tried to teach her Latin, and um, and I was thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, that paints a picture. Got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. He was he was so young, wasn't he? Yeah, and 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 naive and he and I, I mean I think that um Sophia in the book mm. is blamed probably more than she should be <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of painted as from by Venetia and by yeah. her, it, it's her fault that the, she was the older woman happened, or something but, yeah yeah and obviously there's parallels there with her with the with what happened with the mother and mm-hmm. um yeah so I think um Venetia does obviously recognize how um harsh Damrell is on himself and she sort of calls him to task on that so there's there's a section where she says and furthermore my dear friend it is high time you stop trying to make everyone believe you are much blacker than you have been painted that's a habit you fell into when you were young and foolish and perfectly understandable in the circumstances they're also very like Conway when he used to boast to me of the shocking pranks he played at Eton. Banbury stories, most of them. Thank you, but I've never done that. There has been no need for Banbury stories. With what improbable virtues are you trying to endow me? An exquisite sensibility? Delicacy of principle? Oh no, nothing of that nature, she replied, getting up. I allow you all the vices you choose to claim. Indeed, I know you for a gamester and a shocking rake and a man of sadly unsteady character. But I'm not so green that I don't recognise in you... One virtue, at least, and one quality. What, is that all? How disappointing. What are they? A well-informed mind and a great deal of kindness, she said, laying her hand on his arm and beginning to stroll with him back to the house. So, as... Yeah, yeah, she... I think the quality of kindness is is an incredibly important one in a relationship, I think, and she recognises that in him. And the the kind, particularly the kindness he he has towards Aubrey, mm. and his immediate understanding of Aubrey's hatred of his um, his disability, yeah, um, and and treats him like he would any other boy. But you know, as most of us hopefully would, but um, people like Edward and. You know, even Lady Denny, everyone always asks Aubrey how he is and yeah. um, tries, and you know, Edward trying to help him out of the chair and, and all of that kind of oh, stuff yeah. that Aubrey's used to. And Venetia knows great mm. so much with him. And with 
damn or is it some this is somebody that completely understands mm. Aubrey's position I think that that does go a long way in their relationship just that understanding between them for me um the person who is just the most appalling about Aubrey is of course Mrs Scoria and uh, uh, let me let me just that intro when she when she appears on the scene oh I love it I love a good villainous entrance you know yeah she's a proper villain isn't she yeah so um so Phoenicia arrives back home and um this is what happens come here my love invited Mrs Scoria Dear child, you've been so anxious to meet your new sister and your little lame brother, have you not? Here they both are. Yes, Miss Lanyon. This is Lady Lanyon. Your little lame brother. Wow. I know, I know. Oh. It is awful. I I have I suspect that with Miss Scor- Mrs. Scoria, is this based on someone that Hayer knew? Because there are a couple of descriptions of her that make me think that there's somebody in Haya's life that she absolutely hates and she has ripped her apart in the form of Mrs. Scoria. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Scoria is absolutely awful. And Venetia's concern that um, they will make it clear, to Mrs. Scoria will make it clear to Aubrey the disgust that she has of his, mm. um, his disability. Oh, goodness, what kind of person is this? <laughs> I know, I know. But um, I, I think... Venetia describes her character so well, um, having only met her very briefly. Venetia knew that the comfort of Undershaw was over, and that the immediate future promised nothing but strife and vexation. In addition to her hostility, Mrs Scoria possessed a managing disposition, and an uncontrollable desire to show everyone, from Venetia down to the gardener's boy, a better way of performing any given task, whether it was the direction of a household or the preservation of geraniums. Even the cook, whose macaroons Mrs Scoria had declared to be as good as Gunter's, was to be given a recipe which would be found to be superior. And as though the mental vision conjured up by this promise was not horrid enough, she further promised to furnish Venetia with the name of an excellent surgeon, who she had no doubt at all would know just what to do to cure Aubrey's lameness. Venetia acquitted her of malice, but found no difficulty in understanding why it was that so many people had, according to herself, so frequently behaved disgracefully to her. I feel like we all know people like that who go through life thinking that everyone is appalling to them and you think, yeah, the common denominator here is you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and like people like Damrell have obviously met her kind mm. lots of times and she they can recognise that. But of course, Venetia hasn't really come across anyone. Yeah, she's baffled by like it. This. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, yeah, it's that thing of you do know people that that will will get into those situations even at the detriment to themselves. Yes. So like for Mrs. Scoria, you know, she then she got sent packing by um Conway. Uh, her, her yeah, by Conway, but also by her other daughter's husband. Oh, yeah. There's reference to that, isn't mm-hmm. there? That um that, that relationship's broken down. And that can only be a bad thing for her to have a break yeah. in the relationship with her with her daughter. But yet she yeah. cannot help herself. Mm-hmm. Because that's just her personality. But yeah, she's an awful person. I love though that she meets her match in nurse. Oh, I know. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, nurse delivering her biblical diatribes are just amazing. Like when she's talking about um 
Damrel's offspring being fed to the caterpillar and yeah. things like things like that. It's amazing. And I love the way her like Damrel just manages to wrap around his little finger really quickly. But she's got this kind of like nice bullying, protective way about her, doesn't she? Where like, you know, as soon as she finds yeah. out that Charlotte's pregnant, she takes really good care of her and manages to sort of handle Mrs. Scoria in the process. And when she notices that Venetia is heartbroken, yeah. she sort of reverts yeah. back to her old nurse way and was like really sweet yeah. to her. That passage really mm. um, makes, that, that makes me cry, that passage. So yeah. it's that she's, um, she, you don't really, you don't really know what's going on in her head, but you immediately know she just, she, she changes her, her way towards Venetia when she realises she's mm. coming, she's soaking wet from just having things broken off mm. by Damerel and um and then she sort of gently starts like scolding her a little bit and just um and then she takes her in her arms doesn't she and says oh they're mm. my pretty they're my sweet and it's just oh it's heartbreaking yeah yeah it is um so yes nurse is a good one she is um you know who isn't a good one Edward Yardley Edward oh my goodness oh. So smug, so patronising. But there's a few bits that really mm-hmm. um, make my blood boil about him. <laughs> so he has one bit where he's talking to Clara Denny. Oh, yeah. And um, and makes a comment about um, the wiser of your, of, of, the, of your sex is not always the cleverest or something like that mm. so, I'm, so I'm really patronized he's so patronizing and she laps it up and so I'm really Ugh. yeah well, she loves it um, oh yes you're so witty ha ha, ha. Like, mm. <laughs> yes. how depressing is it that women would have to pretend to be stupid oh. just to be <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I get the impression that Clara Denny probably is a little bit stupid um, yes but it is or just dull um there is the bit that I find Oh, really just made me want to retch um, is when he's sort of dismissing uh, Venetia's views on something but he just never listens to her not wanting to marry him right he just cannot yeah he cannot see it so yeah the, the passage that makes me dislike Edward Yardley not quite the most the second most because there's another one that I think is even worse but um, he has come to see uh, Venetia in London and um she's trying to explain to him that she does not want to marry him yet again now if i was a young hothead like aubrey i should let you say what you would later regret he interposed holding up a warning forefinger and then no doubt we should indulge ourselves with a stupid quarrel when we might both of us be led into saying what we should regret but i fancy i have rather more sense than you give me credit for and also my dear that i know you a trifle better than you know yourself you will tell me that i'm impertinent but so it is little though you may think it you are impetuous. Your disposition is lively. You are enjoying your first taste of what is called society. And I dare say, indeed I am sure, that you have met with a great deal of admiration and flattery. It is very natural that you should be feeling a little giddy. I do not at all grudge you your treat. And you must not be thinking you know that when we are married you will not be granted a similar indulgence. I am not myself fond of town life, but I believe it may be of benefit to one to go about the world now and then. And certainly it is very diverting to study the manners and customs of persons whose way of life is so far removed from one's own. Edward, if I ever led you to suppose that I should marry you, I am sorry for it, and I tell you now that I shall not, she said earnestly. 
She saw with dismay that her words had made no impression on him. He was still smiling in a way that she found peculiarly irritating, and he said in one of his rather ponderous essays in playfulness, I fancy I must be growing a trifle deaf. Oh. Okay, so, so Rach, I had a spare mm. copy of Venetia and I gave it to a friend at work. Now, I have previously, over the past couple of years, um, just dropped her a little a little Georgia Heyer book that I had going spare every now and again, just, you know, subtly. And I feel like now I've got her on the hook. So she's just read Venetia or she's actually in the middle of reading Venetia. And every now and again, she'll message me kind of saying like, oh, Mrs. Scoria is appalling. Um, <laughs> but she said of Edward Yardley that she actually found him a little bit frightening in a way in his just absolute refusal to listen to somebody else's view. Yeah, it is completely irrelevant what she says to him she she, mm. she has said she doesn't want to marry him and yet he he thinks he knows better and basically says that yeah the bit, the bit about he knows her better than mm. she knows herself oh it's so frustrating but then you know is Damerel guilty of that as well I think I I think yeah I mean I think I think so I think lots of people in this book are mm. um guilty of that a little bit and um, Damerel, I think Damerel is in a difficult position mm. as well because he knows about her mother, mm. her mother, and she and, and and doesn't feel like he can tell her that because that's not. Although I don't know why he feels. Oh, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that bit. Yeah, to be honest, no. no. But I, I understand um, his feeling yeah. that it would be unfair of of him to allow Venetia to choose him not having met anyone else yeah yes exactly yeah and I I think I think from Damerel it is it is coming from an unselfish place which Mm. is she is too good for him Mm. and his life makes it impossible he feels like if she marries him she will be um ostracized from society yes. and it will be bad for her basically so i think it is coming it is coming from a better place with yes, Damerel, isn't that, it? that is true going going back to yardley for a second um yeah when he actually realizes that uh venetia is who she has always told him she is and and that she doesn't want to marry him uh his anger towards her yeah. is deeply unpleasant yes in, indeed yeah um, yeah, almost like it, it is almost a, but you've you know, you've led me on sort of thing. Like yeah, led, and it's like even though she said it however many times. No, I just before we get to that, but I, I just wanted to read the bit that I that 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 I think is the worst bit about Edward okay. Yardley. Mm-hmm. It's again they're in London. He is um, there when she realizes that her mother is still alive, and she saw her at the theatre. Mm. And it all comes out about her, um, her mother, and um, that she's still alive, and 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 the divorce, and all of that. Mm. So Venetia says, "So that is why Mrs. Yardley doesn't like me," she exclaimed. He lifted his hand. "I assure you, my dear Venetia, you are mistaken. My mother has frequently told me that she liked you very well. That she did not, for some time, wish for the connection is, I know you must agree." understandable for her principles are high and anything in that in the nature of a scandal is repugnant to her as indeed it must be to anyone of propriety 
Such as yourself, she asked. He replied weightily. I do not deny that it is not what I like. Indeed, I struggled to overcome what I felt was an attachment I ought never to allow myself to form. It would not do, however. I became persuaded there was nothing in your character or your disposition that made you unworthy to succeed my dear mother as mistress of Netherfold. You have sometimes a trifle too much volatility, and as I have had on occasion now and then hinted to you, but you're, of your virtue, I have no doubt. Oh, I find that so so mm. frustrating. <laughs> like the the fact that her mother had um had a, a divorce and um and has been married to, as Damerel says, been married to Lord Stephen for however many years, fifteen years, I think. Um, yeah. That that could, yeah, that that could, or that anything that her mother does could have been mm. um Benicia was responsible for. It's just so lofty, isn't it? Yeah, and he's such a mother's boy as well. Like in, in that scene where oh, they, I, they I, I kind of think it in my head is breaking up. They're not breaking up because they were never together. But when he realizes that it's not happening, he says something like, "In the future, yeah. I always listen to my mother's advice on who I should marry." And um, and yeah, you just hear that and you think, I, "You are only proving the point that you would be an appalling person to marry." Yes, indeed. Right? Are we are we are we done ranting against? I could rant about Edward Yardley for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, should we talk about the love story? Which is the central of this book, really, isn't it? And it is, this book, you know, it's a pure love story, isn't it? And Mm. it's probably the the most um, purest, is that the word? But of all the Heyer books, I think of this as the the purest love story. There's not really adventure or um, other, yeah other things happening other than these two these people falling in love and the obstacles that they face yeah and i i think it allows another aspect of Haya's writing to come to the fore because in the adventure books i think her pacing and her humor is really on show whereas with venetia some of the language she uses is really yeah. poetic and yeah the way she sort of um brings nature into this relationship mm. i think is really special so you know you're, you're very conscious of when venetia and damrell first meet it's this sort of these beautiful warm days and they're strolling around the gardens with each other and it's absolutely idyllic and then damrell sort of realizes that actually maybe things will get difficult up ahead and that's reflected in a bit of chilliness in the weather and then they have the big yeah. sort of conversation where he says we can't make this work and then there's a massive storm. There's a storm that night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. it's beautifully yeah, reflected in, in, in the weather, I think, that. And it's, he refers to it as their autumn idyll. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's a passage, which I think just might, might be one of my favourite passages mm. in, in all of Haya, just after she has to go to um, his place because of Aubrey. Um, Injuring himself, yeah. Should I go to that bit? Yeah. Venetia opened her eyes to sunlight, dim by the chintz blinds across her window. She lay for a few minutes between sleep and waking, aware at first vaguely and then with sharpening intensity of a sense of well-being and of expectation, as when, in childhood, she had waked to the knowledge that the day of a promised treat had dawned. Somewhere in the garden the thrush was singing, and the joyous sweetness of its note so much in harmony with her mood that it seemed part of her happiness. 
She was content for some moments to listen, not questioning the source of her happiness, but presently she came to full consciousness and remembered she had found a friend. At once the blood seemed to quicken in her veins. Her body felt light and urgent and a strange sense of excitement flooding her whole being like an Alexa made her, made it impossible for her to be still. That, that feeling, that, yeah. that feeling that that describes, I think yeah. it's so relatable mm-hmm. that when you first meet somebody and that feeling of your heart going a bit faster and the, yeah. the, the urgency of seeing them again mm. and the urgency, it, it's just that, um, yeah, like, yeah, it's, I just, I just love that. It just describes it so perfectly. Yes. Yes, it really does. Um, and I think as well, she later on, she describes it being with him. She felt perfectly at home. And I think that's a nice way yeah. of, of encapsulating that, that sense of having met your person. That's lovely. Yeah. And, and because of her seclusion, mm. she just feels that she's found a friend at first. Yeah. She just, it's just because she's found a friend that understands her and mm. she can laugh with. Mm. And um, because she hasn't had that. And of course, no. we know she's falling in love with him, but, but she doesn't quite recognise that at first because it's, it's just not something, it, it's just that she's never really met anybody that, understands her like that or that can she can speak to like that do you think I, th- yeah. I think I read that as her pretty much being in love with him from the beginning um but just referring to him as her friend because I think that was just for me the friendship was a strong part of their romance mm. I I don't know I, I I don't for her we don't have like a, a light bulb moment do we where she mm. she sort of realizes that she's in love mm. we just have the feeling we just have descriptions of of her feelings yeah um but we don't have her thinking oh my you know with Federica we sort of we sort of heard her thoughts and heard her oh no I can't be in love with him oh but maybe mm. this is how you feel when you're in love with somebody we sort of had that um drawn out of it with her we just we just was were with her feeling the things she was feeling for yeah. him and not really questioning that it was just a it, she wanted to spend as much time with her, him as possible and um and want yeah wanted to marry him but not yeah it, it just seemed to progress very naturally yes but with I th- him I think you did have a few light bulb moments yeah with um with this one I really like the way they so she has dinner with him early early on when he mm. first takes in um, Aubrey after his in- incident and it, it feels like this description of a really beautiful date so um, she's thinking back on that evening and she says then a little wonderingly she thought over that protracted dinner and of how they had sat talking long after Imber had removed the covers Damrell leaning back in his carved chair a glass of port held between his long fingers she with her elbows on the table and a half-eaten apple in one hand and the dust creeping into the room unheeded, until Imber brought in candles in tall, tarnished chandeliers and set them on the table, furnishing a pool of light in which they sat while the shadows darkened beyond it. Trying to recall what they had talked of during that comfortable hour, it seemed to Benicia that they had talked of everything, or perhaps of nothing. She did not know which, but only that she had found a friend. Mm. Yeah, I know. Oh, and that's what's beautiful, I think, because you, cause you're with them all the way where they're falling in love yeah when we get to the heartbreak bit we feel it yeah and also that's such a a relatable feeling as well when you think 
when you think the person that you love doesn't love you as much. Mm. I don't think she believes for long that he doesn't love her. I think, I think they're so connected with each other that she does understand that he that he loves her. There are moments of doubt when she kind of thinks, you know what, he knows all these people. He might have these kind of connections with lots of different people. But then there's a bit of that 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 kind of gut instinct that says, no, this is special. I I I don't I don't know. I, I think when he that scene where he is saying to her. Um, oh, this is an end to our our autumn idyll, mm. and and that, and he almost it, he it's almost belittle he belittles it he belittles their relationship yeah to protect and himself. he 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 is protecting himself to protect her because she can't tell her the real reason so he he obviously he obviously touches on the real reason and I think mm. he says about it, you know not being able to change space and time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, he, I, I, I think what hurts her the most is his making light of that, um, mm. of that time they had together, and yeah. okay. and and the fact that it is a rejection. Mm. I, yeah, and I, I think as for the reader, it's so upsetting because their love seems like no ordinary love. It's it's a grand kind of love. They're they're soulmates, um, more so than in in other Heyer books. I I find, and and along with that comes this sense of waste that they're not together when when they're kept apart. Mm. So um, when she's in London, and I th- I think as well, you, your heart really goes out to her just because she's tr- she has to put a brave face on it so often. Like when she has to tell Aubrey that she's going away, mm. she has to put a brave face on it and. And he questions yeah. it a bit, doesn't he? So, well, what about... Because obviously he has noticed their relationship. And he says, well, have you spoken to Damrell? Mm. And then, she, yeah, she has to brush it off a little bit, even though it hurts her. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. There's there's this bit where she um, she's talking about her experiences in London and how she's not... You know, there is an element of happiness that she's, she's managing, but sort of underneath it all, there's this sadness. So she says... Uh, but under her enjoyment, there was a dull ache of unhappiness, never forgotten, and sometimes turning to acute anguish. She could not banish Damrell from her mind, or cease from thinking involuntarily of what she would tell him about St Paul's Cathedral, or how he would laugh when he heard of Mrs Hendred's conviction that by causing a plate of hard biscuits to be set at her elbow at every meal, while she partook of such delectable dishes as truffle pie and lobster patties, she was adhering to a strict and a reducing diet. Even as the mischievous smile quivered on her lips, the recollection that she would never share a joke with him again perhaps never see him again, would sweep over her, plunging her into such despair that she understood why people like poor Sir Samuel Romilly committed suicide and envied them their escape from hopelessness. I mean... That's bleak, isn't it? Very bleak. And then there's a bit as well where she said that um, she was never alone because a ghost walked beside her, soundless and invisible, yet so real that she felt sometimes if she stretched out her hand, it would find his. (sighs) Yeah, and I think I yeah. think that that does happen, doesn't it, with the end of relationships and with bereavement? That there are times where you just think, "Oh, I'll tell this person that story, they'll love it," and that that shock that mm. hits you like a punch of knowing that yeah. no, you can't. It's a type of grief, isn't it? I think it really is. Yeah, yeah. And then so then Miss Hendrick sort of because sees her unhappiness and mm. sort of breaks, doesn't she, and tells 
and tells her that oh no your uncle saw him and he does he he was that in love with you he just mm. yeah he sort of <laughs> decided amongst themselves it wasn't the best thing mm. and and she immediately then starts Gosh. thinking she lights up again. Know, okay yeah exactly okay so this, this sounds like something i can do something about she just <laughs> she's just trying to find a way and then the opportunity with her mother learning about her mother and um she immediately sees the opportunity there in um in sort of holding him to ransom about her going to <laughs> her going to live with her mother and yes um yeah so she sort of you get the sense she's immediately sees that opportunity and she, she's just as soon as she knows that um he does love her she's immediately looking for that opportunity to she's a very capable woman he was like yes I'm not going to fall into despair she never really she, she she feels despair but she never sort of lets herself uh really decline into it op- openly and then as soon as she sort of realizes she's had this opportunity she sort of sets herself a plan and goes yes. and gets her man well she says to mrs hendred hendred um it's my whole life i'm fighting for mm. and, and yeah when, when she yeah she's she's kind of saying Yes, it is shocking that I would go over there and throw myself at him. But this is what it requires and I will do it. Yeah. The stakes are and that all, high. Yeah, and it's sort of the first time she's been able to take mm. a decision for herself and take her life into her own hands and make a change for herself. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's good yeah um <laughs> and then she shows up at the priory and he's drunk he's drunk yeah that's inevitable though isn't it yeah, well yeah sure um oh damrell must you be fox just this moment how odious you are my dear friend his hand fell for one instant he gazed at her incredulously then he was on his feet knocking over his wine glass venetia he uttered venetia um, two hasty, uncertain strides brought him round the corner of the table. She moved towards him and melted into his arms as he seized her. He held her in a crushing embrace, fiercely kissing her, uttering disjointedly, My love, my heart, oh my dear delight, it is you. So he's pleased to see her, that's nice. And then weirdly, yeah. and also fantastically, um, Mr. Hendred arrives on the scene, and he's sort of present uh, from that point for most of the big sort of end love scene. Yeah. Adding his sort of very dour take on everything. I, I really like Mr. Hendred. He, he is um, fun, isn't he? And th- th- I can understand yeah. why he's a little bit shocked. Because at, at one point, it says, um, so this is all in front <laughs> yeah. of Mr. Hendred. She looked at Damrell. Yeah. Well, my dear friend. Well, my dear delight. He returned a glint in his eyes. Do you think you'll make me unhappy? I don't, but I will offer you no promises. No, pray don't, she said seriously. As soon as one promises not to do something, it becomes the one thing above all others that one most wishes to do. She turned her head towards her uncle again. You mean to warn me that you may continue to have mistresses and orgies and and so on, don't you, sir? Particularly so on, interpolated Damrell. Well, how should I know all the shocking things you do? The thing is, uncle, that I don't think I ever should know. You'd know about my orgies, objected Damrell. Yes, but I shouldn't care about them once in a while. After all, it'd be quite unreasonable to wish you to change all your habits, and I can always retire to bed, can't I? Oh, won't you preside over them, he said, much disappointed. Yes, love, if you wish me to, she replied, smiling at him. Should I enjoy them? He stretched out his hand, and when she laid her own in it, held it very tightly. You shall have a splendid orchie, my dear delight, and you will enjoy it very much indeed. 
mean, I this that led me to question what orgies were back then. Yeah, so it does just seem to be booze and yeah. loose women, right? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it's quite what we would consider an orgy nowadays. No, I think I think that's right. And also, I do wonder, like, how much that that whole thing. You know, fine, they're going to have orgies. Fine, yeah, you know, they're married. <laughs> that's that's all good. Um, they're allowed to do that. But I do also think that that whole uh, that whole conversation is it, it's a bit it's a little bit tongue in cheek and and for me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. And then we kind of get to the point as well where we realise that he's never really successfully managed to propose to Venetia. Yeah, on Aubrey, yeah. <laughs> Does it occur to you, Mr. Lanyon, that although I have twice been on the verge of it, I have not yet offered for you? Being now safe from interruption, will you do me the honour, ma'am? Good, you haven't gone to bed yet, said Aubrey, suddenly re-entering the room. I have had the most excellent notion. This, said Daniel wrathfully, is the second time you have walked in just as I'm about to propose to your sister. I should have thought you must have done that hours ago. In any event, this is something important. You can spend your honeymoon in Greece and I'll come with you. Still standing within the circle of Daniel's arm, Venetia choked and turned her face into his shoulder. Greece, in the middle of the winter? We should do no such thing, said Daniel. But why be married so soon? If you were to settle on a date in the spring, we have settled on a day in January, if not December. Oh, said Aubrey, rather dashed. And I suppose it had better be Rome. It's a pity because I prefer Greece. However, we can go there later on. And it's your honeymoon after all, not mine. I dare say Venetia will like Rome too. We must remember to ask her sometime. <laughs> not that it signifies. Go to, pe- go to bed, you repulsive whelp. Oh, you want to propose to Venetia, don't you? Very well. Then you needn't mind me, you know. Good night. He limped out and Daniel strode to the door and locked it. And now, my love, he said, returning to Venetia for the fourth time. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely end scene. I think I need a quick marriage because he strikes me as a passionate man and she's a passionate woman. And yeah, that's exactly. not white. What do you think is going to be next for Venetia and Daniel? So, so I do, I do worry a little bit for them Mm -hmm. because they're obviously very, very much in love and that's great. And I think they'll go on a fabulous honeymoon and they'll Mm -hmm. do lots of traveling and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But there is, you know, there is that question of, you know, will, will he be okay in that um, more sedate and faithful life? And will he be faithful and, you know, lots of people ask her like do you do you imagine he'll be faithful do you, mm. i think i think her mother says do you imagine he'll be faithful to you mm. and sort of she says well you know if if he's not then she sort of says something like um well i, I get dare say i shan't know about it sort of thing so maybe it wouldn't bother her too much um yeah. i don't know but if she's got a little bit about that i'm guessing she she's kind of thinking or oh, if it's just a physical thing fine um but i don't i feel like some of that behavior from from him was um you know again living up to her reputation and he doesn't need to do that anymore and yeah i think even early on when he'd met venetia he was kind of looking at getting his affairs in order yeah so i think he's just ready for something a bit different you know he's 38 that's very close to our age that it's it's a point yeah. you just slow down a bit i i 
Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I agree. I think I think he, as we said before, the way of life he has fallen into is is be- just because he's fallen into that way of life. He is a rake be- because that's just the way of life he's fallen into mm. rather than, you know, any sort of deep desire to be that way or to... Yeah. So I, 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 I think he will, I'm going to say <laughs> that <laughs> in my... <laughs> imaginary future for them if he is he is faithful and they are happy and they just go um i will bet 10 english pounds that he will not cheat on her <laughs> yes <laughs> and no one can question me on that <laughs> yeah no i think and, oh, and of course um aubrey will live with them barely noticing the orgies that take place under the roof <laughs> yes indeed Well, um, it, you know what? I've been looking forward to talking about Venetia for a really long time and it's it's lived up to its expectations. I really enjoy It was a book that I read and would just regularly sigh out loud reading. Sometimes happiness, some, in, yeah. sometimes in sadness, but always with pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, enjoy, I always enjoyed this book. It had a lot of rereads um, and it was nice reading it um, and... Uh, you know again getting more out of it because of because of this, these conversations oh um so tough act to follow rach what Blimey. are we going to follow it with your choice Blimey. sorry i just need to look at my list here have you yet again not prepared this i haven't at all i didn't even <laughs> think about it. i guess it adds an element of spontaneity doesn't it exactly it's just looking at my list shall we do um We've done false colours. Oh, we have not, and I haven't read that for ages. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, false colours. Let's do it. Ooh, decision made. Yeah, decision made. So that's it from us. Um, if you get a moment to rate and review the podcast, please do. That's always very gratefully received. Um, and do you know? Give us your thoughts on social media as well. We always like having conversations with you on Twitter and Instagram and the like. Um, so take care. Join us for false colors bye for now bye bye